Well, church, as always, it's a joy, again, to gather together once again this week, to sing together, and now to hear from our God in his word. And if you are newer here this morning or new here, once again, we just want to do say that we are so thankful you're with us. We're glad you're here. So this week, we can continue our series that we titled Being a Jesus-Centered Church, what it means to be a Jesus-Centered Church. And this is our fourth week in our six-week series. It's going to bring us through Palm Sunday, and then we'll have Easter. And thus far, in our three weeks so far, we've seen first that we're a Jesus-centered church when we hear from Jesus in the Bible. We hear from Jesus in the Bible. And second, we saw that we're a Jesus-centered church when we love and trust his gospel, what Jesus did to reconcile us back to God. And then last week, we looked into prayer. We saw that prayer isn't some fancy religious thing by any means. Instead, it's the natural result of hearing from Jesus in his word and being in a relationship with God through the gospel. Prayer is essentially just us speaking to God. So that's what we've seen so far, which leads us to now this week. And this week, we're going to be transitioning to now talking about living like Jesus. Living like Jesus. Or to put the whole series thus far together, we now turn to what it looks like when all of the things we've been talking about, the gospel, hearing from God in the Bible, talking to God in prayer, what it looks like when those things really change our lives. When those things, by God's grace, make us live differently than we did before we knew Christ. And that's why we read the text that we just did. We'll see in there how we live differently, all because of the gospel and all because of what Jesus did. Yet before we do look more detailed into our text for this, I do think it'd be helpful for us to take a second and consider what we're talking about this morning, living like Jesus, in the larger scope of the entire Bible. Really in the larger scope even of all of human history. And here's what I mean. We could, just from the very outset, dig into what it means to live like a Christian. But for us to really understand what we're talking about, it's helpful for us actually to go really all the way back to the very beginning. The very beginning even of human history in the whole Bible. And I hope you'll see why. So if we go back to the very beginning, we know right away from Genesis 1 that human beings are, quote, made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. That's who we are. And you've probably heard that before. And it means that in some way, we image forth God. We're a little like God. We show what he's like. Not that we're all powerful, we're all knowing or anything like that. But it means that we're relational creatures who love, who can communicate, who are unique, all like our God. So that's who we are at the very beginning. And the question then, even at the very beginning that we can ask is, well, why did God do this? Why did God create human beings in his image? And the Bible teaches that it wasn't because God was needy, nor is it because God was lonely. He was perfectly content in the relationships in the Trinity. Instead, God created us in his image precisely because he wanted images or many reflections of who he was like, what he's like spread all over the earth. That's why we were created, to be little images, reflections of who and what God is like. Or think of it this way. God, who really exists, is beautiful and powerful and good and creative and interesting and unique and relational and loving. And so why did God create this whole universe? 
including us, because he wanted to share and spread all of that. He's so magnificent and powerful and good that he was overflowing in magnificence and power and goodness and creativity and uniqueness and love. And so he created a world, a universe, where those things could be experienced and shared with others. That's why he created everything the way he did. That's why he created everything in nature with all the strength and beauty we find there. That's why he created everything in the plant and animal world with all the uniqueness and liveliness we find there. But above all, that's why he created us, human beings, in his image, his likeness to image, to show forth more clearly who he is and what he's like, to experience, spread, even in just a mini picture, his goodness his creativity, his joy, his love. And so that, brothers and sisters, is humanity's original purpose. That's why we're here. The triune God, the living God, Father, Son, Spirit is so good and beautiful and unique and creative that he made human beings to overflow that goodness and beauty and creativity into a world. So that's the origin of who we are. It's the history recorded in the Bible and explains why we exist. Then, as we know, Genesis 3 happened. The fall, as we call it. Sin entered the world and everything got messed up. We are still made in the image of God. That's clear from other places in the Bible, like Genesis 9, after the fall. And yet, as we know, our image is broken. It's crooked. And this is true of human beings ever since the fall. No matter what time period you live in, no matter what corner of the earth, you are from, these two things are true. You are made in the image of God. And so you have a unique capacity for love and beauty and creativity and then also you're extremely fallen. Something's off. And again, this is what we talked about a little bit in our gospel message a few weeks ago. Jesus came so that we could find forgiveness and reconciliation back to God. He came to undo the effects of sin and bring us back to God. I hope you get that. But now, consider how all of that relates to our topic today. Our sermon title is We Strive to Live Like Jesus. And that's true. That's one way of saying what we're getting at. But here's the point. What we're talking about this morning, when we're talking about living like Jesus, is bigger than mere morality. It's bigger than just trying to, quote, be good much bigger. And think about how this fits in the overarching biblical story and history of our world that we just talked about. As we're talking about living differently and living like Christ, we're not just talking about living moral lives. Instead, if you're tracking, what we're talking about is being reconnected with our original purpose as living more as images of God that we were meant to be. That's what we're talking about. Or to put it another way, what Jesus did for us in the gospel isn't just save us so that we can go to heaven. Nor did Jesus just reconcile us so we can have a relationship with God. That's very true. Those are both gloriously true. But more than that, he also came to reverse the crookedness that was brought about in because of the fall. 
We're saved and we're reconciled to God in order that we can live now more in accordance with our original purpose as images of God. In Christ, we now start to live more like we were always meant to live. And that's why the Bible says things like Jesus is, quote, the true image of God. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is not only God and the Messiah and the Savior, but he is, quote, the image of God. For example, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says Christ, who is the image of God. Or even more clearly in Colossians 1, Paul writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so Jesus, as the image of God, now comes to bring the Bible full circle. We were made in the image of God to show forth God's magnificence and creativity and love, but we fell. And now in the gospel, the perfect, unfallen image of God shows up and he comes to show us what the true image of God looks like and to restore us so that we can once again start living as images of God, as those whom we were meant to live. So Jesus shows us in his life what it looks like He teaches us, and through his apostles, he teaches us how to do it. And then by his Holy Spirit, he enables us more and more to live like him. And so if you're tracking this far, what we're talking about when we're talking about living like Jesus, we're not talking, again, merely about morality or something you have to do because we're a Christian. I hope you've seen it's so much bigger than that. Instead, what we're talking about is living lives that are full of beauty and love and creativity and purity and grace and relationships, all like our Jesus, all like our God, who is the source of all of those things. Before we knew Christ, we would just live however we wanted. Our images were crooked, were crooked, and we lived crookedly, but now... Once we know Christ, although we still have sin in us, he shows us and enables us to live differently. Because we're in a relationship with God, again, we live more in accordance with who we were meant to be. So that's what's at stake as we talk about living like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. In a minute, we'll talk about what does this look like. We'll spend most of our time talking about what does this look like. Yet before we do that, I want you to see this idea of the image of God and imitating God from our text that we just read itself. So look at your Bibles. We're in Romans 4.17 to start. And we won't be spending most of our time in this first paragraph, 4.17 through 24. But here I want you to see Paul's reasoning in talking about what we just discussed. So we'll start with just verses 17 through 19. So I'll read those. Look at your Bible. This is Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now these are honestly some hard words, but just notice two things for our time this morning. First, In verse 17, notice there that Paul says, you must no longer walk. This is important because it's implied there that all of us were once walking like this. And some of us, if you don't know Jesus, are still walking like this. 
And this is important because Christianity is never a I'm better than you sort of thing. It never is. It's I've been saved and changed by Jesus sort of thing. And then second from that, those few verses, notice what people are alienated from in verse 18. Separated from, alienated from, quote, alienated from the life of God. And so this is what we're talking about. The result of the fall was separation from God. And being separated, now we live lives just drastically different than what God is like. Lives of sensuality, greed, and purity, according to verse 19. So that's all of us, apart from being changed by Jesus, apart from the gospel. But now, look at what Paul says in verses 20 through 24. So let's read those now. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to renew the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does it mean to learn Christ in verse 20? Or what does it mean to be taught the truth that is in Jesus in verse 21? If you see it there, it means that we put off the old sinful self, verse 22. We're renewed in our spirits, verse 23. Why? What's the goal? Verse 24, to put on the new self which is created after the likeness of God. The image, the likeness of God. And there it is. There's the result of the gospel. We once were living in sensuality, greed, selfishness, and purity, but now in Christ we have a renewed new self. Once again, we're starting to live more in the likeness of God as we were always meant to. And in brief, you do see this idea come up again in chapter five. Our, t- our passage today is gonna end in 5-2. So if you wanna look down with me here, verses one and two of chapter five, and we'll see this idea again. This is verses one and two of chapter five. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what's the summative way of talking about Christian living in verse one? Being imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God. That's who we are as his children. We're we're those who are striving to imitate God and how we think and speak and act like Christ. And once again, that's the original purpose of humanity. That's what Jesus shows us. And that's our purpose as those recreated, born again in Christ. So that all puts what we're talking about this morning, I hope, into proper perspective. As we talk about living like Jesus, we're talking about striving to imitate God. Jesus is God. We're talking about striving to imitate God and and live according to our original purpose from the very beginning. So then, the big question we have for the rest of our time this morning is, okay, we're supposed to live like Jesus. We're supposed to imitate God, but what does that really look like? What does that mean? And that's what we'll be looking at for the rest of our time here this morning. And for an outline of the rest of our time, if it's helpful, we're just going to now do two things, two things. First, we're going to answer this question, what does it look like to live like Jesus? What does it look like to live like God? With one word. 
with one word. One biblical word, a helpful word, a word that really does summarize our answer so well. So that's what we're going to do first. And then second, from that, we're going to give two ideas that explain this one word further. So first, one word that summarizes so well what it means to live like Christ, to be an image of God. And then second, two words, subcategories of that one word. So first, let's start with the one overarching word that summarizes it so well. That's an answer to what does it look like. And again, this is a biblical word that I think does summarize it so well. It's a word that encapsulates in one word what it means to live like Christ, what it means to imitate God. And again, our two subcategories just be from this one word. So it's an important word, trying to build it up. But not only that, not only that, it's also, I think, the one word in the Bible that best describes God. It's the one word that is probably the best one word descriptor of God in the whole Bible. And, before I even say it, it's a word that's misunderstood a lot. So what's the one word we're talking about? Well, you see it in verse 24, if you want to look for 24. It's the last word of verse 24, and the word you know well, the word is Holiness. Holiness. Again, this is a biblical word, but I also said it's a word that's misunderstood a lot, so stick with me. Holiness. You can see in verse 24, I'll just read it. Verse 24, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're renewed, we put on the new self, and how is that described? As being made in the image of God in true righteousness and holiness. And as you know, this is also the summative word that's used throughout the New Testament of talking about what we're called to now as Christians. Lives of holiness. You shall be holy as I am holy. And holiness really is the perfect word, and here's why. Perhaps you're here and you think of holiness mainly or only as purity. A lot of people do. Or mainly as not having sin. And unfortunately, somehow, in the last hundreds of years or so, somehow, when we hear the word holiness, that's what we think. And that's all we think. That it just means purity or it just means not having sin. But honestly, the word is much broader and honestly much better than that. So what does holiness mean? Well, in brief, holiness, by itself, just in the actual word, just means being set apart. That's all it means. It's being separate, being set apart, being unique, being distinct. And many things, therefore, in a sense, can be called holy. Different, distinct, set apart. But as you probably know, the word above all in the Bible is used to describe God. He alone is the holy one. He alone is truly holy. He's the only one who can say, you should be holy because I am holy. And this is the defining characteristic of God in the Bible, He's totally set apart, totally different. In fact, you see this in, in some of the heavenly visions, right? In the Old Testament, Isaiah 6. It's the only characteristic of God that's repeated three times there. Holy, holy, holy. And then you see that again in Revelation 4 in the New Testament. It's the only characteristic of God that's repeated three times again. Holy, holy, holy. Why? Because he's so different. That's all the word means in itself. He's so set apart. So I hope that makes sense so far. God is Holy. But now the important question we have to ask from the Bible is, okay, but why is God so holy and set apart? What is it that makes him so different? What is his holiness? 
And it's in answering that question that we'll start to see why this is the perfect word for us as well. So God is set apart in that he's God, he's the creator, that's all true. But above all, he's holy, he's so distinct, he's so set apart in the fact that first, he is totally pure without any sin, that's true. But also second, also in the fact that he is totally loving and full of all goodness. So God is holy. He is set apart and that is totally free of all the negatives. He has no sin. As 1 John, as John in 1 John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's part of his holiness. No darkness at all. But then, God is also holy in the fact that he has all the positives and that he is totally good, totally loving. As John says in 1 John, God is love. And so now we have the holiness of God. He's the creator, of course, but in who he is, what makes him so different is he has none of the negatives and he has all of the positives. His holiness is no sin and all goodness and love. That's what sets him apart. That's God's holiness. And so now, perhaps you're seeing why holiness really is the perfect word for what we're striving for. Remember, God made us in his image. We were made, created to image forth this holy God. And Jesus comes as the true image of God. And he shows us God's holiness perfectly. And so what does it look like? What does God's holiness look like in Jesus' life? What does it look like in our lives? How do we strive to be imitators of this God? Well, it's sinning less and loving more. Sinning less and loving more. That was Jesus' life. His holy life. A life of no sin. And, this is important, a life of perfect love. And our calling is to live like Jesus in sinless, loving lives of holiness. And as a side note, this, by the way, is why the Bible calls the process of becoming more like Christ sanctification. Maybe heard that before? That the word sanctus is just the Latin word for holy. And so sanctification is just the process of becoming more holy, more like God, meaning we sin less and we love more. And so those are our two subcategories of word holiness, sinning less and loving more. And for the rest of our time, we'll be seeing those things in which we just read. So let's begin with the first aspect of holiness, which is living lives of less sin. And for this, we'll look at verses 25 through 31, and here we'll see Paul list a lot of things that we can look on, uh, work on, a lot of sins that we can uh, fight against and we'll read them. We're not going to go into too much detail on all of them because we don't have a lot of time, but we'll read them and just notice the sins that we can fight in verses 25 through 31. If you want to look at your Bible. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let our bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So we'll stop there. We're not, as I said, going to break down each one of those in detail. We'll skim through them in a second. Instead, though, my prayer to them like this is that God's spirit who inspired these words may convict you of what sins you need to work on, where you need to fight for sinning less in your life. Because each one of us has different struggles and specific sins. So as we go through this quickly, just see what do I need to work on. Why, though? Because we want to be like Jesus not because we just want to obey commands. But now let's skim through what we just read. So verse 25, look at your Bibles as we do this. You see the emphasis on putting away falsehood. This means speaking the truth and not lying. God doesn't lie. So our goal should be not to lie either. Then in verses 26 and 27, Paul talks about anger. But notice anger itself isn't a sin. God can rightly be angry about things, but we must be careful not to let our anger turn into sin. Because then, as Paul says, the devil can use this as an opportunity, or that word can be translated a foothold. And the idea there is, if we have a sin of anger, the one sin of anger, as we all know, might lead to many other sins. So we have to watch our anger. Then verse 28, Paul talks about stealing. God doesn't steal, we shouldn't steal. Then in verse 29, Paul talks about our speech. We should let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. That speech that corrupts ourselves and others. And it is sobering, isn't it, that our speech can corrupt ourselves and others. As the Apostle James writes in James 3, the tongue is, quote, a restless evil full of deadly poison. So we have to watch what we say. God doesn't corrupt with his speech, and so neither should we. That's verse 29. We'll skip verse 30 from now. We'll come back, and then notice verse 31. There, Paul gives one of his, quote, vice lists, as they're called, just a lot of things to watch out for. We must put away bitterness. Bitterness, which is something we all might feel so right in holding, but the Bible says it's so wrong and destructive. We have to put away wrong wrath and anger. We must put away loud quarreling, which is essentially what the word clamor means. We must put away slander, speaking falsely about somebody else, and malice, which is having an intention to do harm to somebody. All that needs to be put away Why? Because we want to live like Christ. Because we want to image forth God. We must live lives of less sin. And that's why verse 30, a really famous verse there, you notice that about grieving the Holy Spirit is so helpful in this context. Notice there isn't one specific sin mentioned in verse 30. Instead, it seems that in the midst of mentioning all of these things to watch out for, Paul decides to reference the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity, because when we sin, we grieve him. And this is truly an amazing thing. It shows God's desire in his heart for us. When we don't live in accordance with how he made us to live, we grieve God. And this makes sense. There is a reason, I don't know if you ever considered this, there's a reason that the third person of the Trinity is called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit He could have just been called the Spirit. Sometimes he is. He could have, by God, been called the loving Spirit or the gracious Spirit, but he's not. He's called the Holy Spirit. Why? Because more than anything, he wants us to live lives like God, lives of holiness, lives that are full of less sin and lives that are full of more love. And he's God in us to help us do so. And so when we sin, we go against his desire for us. And so we grieve him. 
And so in some of this first subcategory of holiness, as we seek to live like Christ, we seek to live lives of less sin. So again, I just encourage you to see what can apply to your life even right now. How can you work on sin? Why? Because you want to image God more clearly. Show forth Jesus, live like Jesus, and sin is the opposite of that. So that's the first subcategory, which leads us now to the second subcategory. Because remember, as we've been saying, if we think our Christian calling to holiness is primarily not sinning, we're going to miss it. That's just not it biblically. Of course, not sinning is important. But it's not only that we should avoid negatives. We should be people who are striving to be more loving in the positives. And we'll see that in our text again in a couple ways. First, you probably noticed as we went through all those verses there in that big paragraph, how living lines of love was actually scattered throughout. Let's notice again what Paul says in these verses. We'll skim through them again, but notice this time all the positives. God does not just call us to avoid sin. He calls us to live lives of goodness, lives of love. So verse 25, look at your Bibles again. It's not just that we don't speak falsehood, that's true, but more important, we positively speak the truth. We love people with the truth. Then in verse 28, it's not just that we shouldn't steal, that's true, but notice the emphasis actually more is on the fact that we be people who are generous, that we're generous with the things we have with our possessions, that we love people with our money and our possessions. Then in verse 29, it's not just that we avoid corrupting talk, that's true, but we're people who strive to love others with what we say. And on a side note, just on this, sometimes Christian communities can become so focused on kind of the negative things in speech. We can teach and and talk primarily just about avoiding certain words or avoiding filthy talk. And of course, those are good things to fight against. But I hope we realize that the biblical call on how to use our speech is not primarily negative about things to avoid. Instead, here, and especially, go ahead and read the book of Proverbs, the biblical call on our speech is to use our words for love, for building up. You see in verse 29, to use our words, quote, for building up, quote, that it may give grace to those who hear, who listen to what we have to say. And finally, notice there is that big list of sins to avoid in verse 31, but that's not the end of the chapter. Then it's followed by verse 32 where we're told to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and that, brothers and sisters, is love. That's love. We don't just avoid being mean, we actively seek to be kind. We don't just avoid anger, we seek to have tender, loving hearts towards others. And importantly, we don't just seek to avoid bitterness, we seek to forgive. So we see that emphasis on love scattered throughout in verses 25 through 32. But you see it even more explicitly if you've been tracking in verses one and two of chapter five. This is exactly where Paul transitions. Remember, the chapter divisions were not in the original Bible. They were added hundreds of years later. So let's read verses one and two. So right after that, Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So there you see it. 
That's our calling, brothers and sisters, to be people who strive to be like Christ, be imitators of God, like Christ. How? Walk in love. We're supposed to strive by God's grace to imitate God, to be more like Christ, to be holy, and this means sinlessness, absolutely, but even more it means walking in love. And of course, just to be clear, the best picture of all of this was Jesus himself. He was sinless, of course, but he also showed so much love while he was here on earth. He felt love for his disciples, for the people who listened to him, for the crowds, even felt love clearly for the people who killed him. And not only that, then he acted out of love. He felt and acted out of love. He taught people. He was patient with people. He was kind to people. And then also, he sacrificed for his people. And then he says to his followers, as you know, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so now, with the backdrop of biblical history past and with our text in Ephesians 4 and 5 finished, I hope you're getting a full-orbed picture of our calling. A full-orbed picture. What it means to strive to live like Jesus. Jesus came, he lived, he showed us what it's like, he died, he rose, he reigns, he's coming back. But until he does, he's saving a people. A people from every tribe and nation, from every corner of the earth, who are now enabled by his spirit, step by step, to live a little more like him. Like God, like the images of God that we are. And what does it look like? It looks like us by the enablement of the Holy Spirit to live more lives of holiness. And what does that look like? It looks like sinning less and loving more. And so we're people saved by faith alone, by Christ alone, who strive to imitate the purity and the goodness of Christ. The uprightness and the kindness of Christ. The sinlessness and the love of Christ. And so now as we begin to come to a close, I just want to do two things as we close. Two brief things. I want to just apply this, make sure we apply this to ourselves directly. And then second, I want to close with just one final incentive to incentivize us to go and actually live like Jesus. So first, as for the application, after hearing this, the question we all just have to ask ourselves is, okay, we just heard that we should live like Jesus, so ask, how am I doing with this? How am I doing imitating God, striving to live like Christ? And we have to be careful here for a couple of reasons. First, because we can't think that it's perfection or nothing can't think it's perfection of nothing. Sanctification, holiness is a step-by-step, day-by-day thing. So the question, how are you doing, is not are you sinless yet? None of us are. We won't be until glory. That's not the question. And the other reason we have to be careful is because when we ask how you're doing, we can't assume that then we can go and just leave here and do this on our own strength. I encourage you to come back next week. We're going to be talking about God's grace and how it enables us to live like this but we can't do this on our own strength. So those caveats need to be said, but the question still remains. Ask yourself, how am I doing with this? How am I imitating God? And so apply this. What sins can I fight more? Leaving here this morning, what sins can I go home and write down and fight more? And then also, what ways can I actively decide to try to love more? Again, each of us is different. We have different struggles, different scenarios we're in. But again, I encourage you to take time, even right now, and make this personal for yourself. Make it personal. 
Maybe jot something down on one of the sheets in front of you or on your notes app in your phone. Whatever it takes, make it personal because God doesn't just want us to know what our purpose is. He wants us to actually live in it. So that's how we apply this. And again, I encourage you to really do that. I mean, really do that when you leave here. How sad it would be for us to hear from God's word how beautiful it is to live like Christ and then to go out from here and not actually live more like Christ. So let's apply it. But then finally, now I want to give a final incentive. An incentive as we leave here for us to go strive and live more like Jesus. And from the Bible, there's many incentives for us to do this. Some we saw this morning, like it's our purpose, it glorifies God. Jesus even says if we love him, we obey him. All that's true. Those are great biblical incentives. Here's one final incentive that I think we think about less, but it's it's very helpful and biblical. And it's this. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about holiness and sinning less and loving more, we're not just talking about this because it's the right thing to do. It is, but it's more than that. This also is where we will find true happiness. Happiness. More happiness. One of my favorite preachers, Robert Murray McShane, who lived in the 1800s, he even died at a young age of 29, he put it this way. He said, Oh, that all the world but knew holiness and happiness are one. I'll read that again. He said, Oh, that all that but knew that holiness and happiness are one. And that's true. Holiness and happiness are one. Why? First of all, because God is holy and he's called in the Bible the blessed, the happy God. God is the happiest of all beings in the universe. And so if we can be a little more like him, we will be happier. But also... We know that all these things we're talking about, sinning less and loving more, these are happiness-producing things. We're happier when we sin less. We're happier when we decide to live lives of love and not just live for ourselves. And the win-win as we strive to live like Jesus. On the one hand, God is glorified as we start to live like Jesus, as we get to show the world what God is like, but also... The win-win comes because we get happiness as we live more like this, as we live more in accordance with who we were always meant to be. And so thus far we've seen being a Jesus church, Jesus-centered church, we've talked about the Bible, talked about the gospel, talked about prayer, and now this morning we've seen that a result of all of this that we've talked about is that it changes us to be more like Christ, to be more the images of God that we were meant to be. And why do we do this? because it glorifies God, this is our purpose, because we get to go love others, it's more loving towards others, and because this is where we find true, deep, lasting happiness. And so now, by God's grace, brothers and sisters, let's leave here and let's seek to live more like Jesus. Let's go live lives of less sin and of more love, living holy and happy lives. Amen? Amen? Amen, let's pray.